Well, good morning. Um, everybody doing all right? Yes, having a good weekend. Uh, special welcome over um, to the uh, Contemporary Service over in the Worship Center. So thank you for joining us. I hope that you are doing well and having a good summer. And, you know, in life, um, you know, it throws, it throws us curveballs some, sometimes, doesn't it? Uh, there's some things that kind of happen in life that we don't really expect. And no matter how much, I mean, we know that, we know life is going to pop its head up sometimes and throw those curveballs. But no matter what, um, you know, we can't really fully prepare for those things. And this past week, me and my wife Sloan, we encountered one of those things. We went on vacation and we went with my wife's family to Myrtle Beach. And there's like 25, 26 of us in one house. And so as you can imagine, it's kind of crazy, right? Um, And that's not really a vacation, but um, it's still fun. And it's the beach. And I took a nap in my Eno, and so I guess that's better than nothing. So, um, but anyway, we had an unexpected event. We got home from vacation this past Saturday, and unfortunately, we, we have, so, well, for, not, this isn't unfortunate. We have a dog. <laughs> that's, we're fortunate for that. And he's 12 years old, and um, so we show up from vacation, or getting back from vacation, and there's just something not right with our dog, because he's like a little Jack Russell mutt, I don't know, and... He didn't greet us at the door and just something's wrong. And so we take him to the vet and they gave him some pain meds. And then we went um, to our regular vet last Sunday. And long story short, um, ended up finding out that he had tumors all in his body. And um, so we ended up making a really hard decision to put our dog down. And as you can imagine, you're probably like, some of you are like, you're dog people, you get it, you're crying right now. Some of you are like, I hate dogs, I hate cats, I think cats are from hell. But um, just kidding. I mean, look at it, it's, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible, okay? No, just kidding, it's not in the Bible. Uh, but some of you are like, what is he talking about? Who let this guy speak? I'm just a youth pastor, okay? I'm just a youth pastor. But no, so we love dogs, okay? Some of you don't get it, I get it, okay? But Man, it was losing a loved one. That was unexpected. That's not the way you want to return from vacation, um, needless to say. And in life, we go through things like that that are just unexpected. And we can prepare for them as best as we can. And it's not always that it's like a loss of a loved one or something tragic, but there's unexpected things that take place in our life. I mean, for, for us who are married, you know, I can remember being um, at the, you know, the wedding ceremony. Obviously, I was there and in front of my wife. And I don't have a care in the world. I'm thinking, all right, you know, like we've planned all this stuff. We've done everything that we can. Let's just say I do. Let's leave to go on our honeymoon. Let's get into our new house. It's newly furnished, whatever. And let's start this thing. And you don't really expect the road ahead, right? I mean, you could take premarital counseling and do all these different things to prepare yourself. But then like six months in, like when you're like out of that honeymoon phase, there's some things that happen, right? (laughs) Guys and girls, it's like, Okay, I wasn't really expecting that Um, because, you know, in marriage, I'm perfect. My wife's not. And um, and I mean, if she would get that, I mean, no, just kidding. So let's just be honest. She's perfect. I'm not. And she makes me look really, really good. And all of us guys should say that. But there's unexpected things that take place in marriage. Think about parenting. All right. That for those of you who are parents, um, I remember being that guy. I will confess I was that guy, like when you're in the store, say you're like walking through an aisle at Bilo or Walmart or whatever, or you're at a nice restaurant and someone brings their kid. You know what I'm talking about? And like without kids, I'm like, this, will you get that kid to shut up? 
Seriously, they're crying. They're so like, this is a nice restaurant, you know? And then now that I have kids, I'm like, who cares? It's like numb, you know, like, I, I don't hear it. <laughs> it's like they're crying. Now we're those people that we look around at a nice restaurant, and they're like, why would you bring your kids here? You know, this is McDonald's. This is a nice restaurant. Um, <laughs> but anyway, you know, there's expectations that I, I didn't expect. I thought parenting would be a little bit easier. Or for me, it's like I'm not going to parent the way my parents parent. You know, have any of y'all said that? And then you find yourself saying things that your parents said when you parent. I mean, that was that's unexpected. Um, think about the expectations we have for church that for many of us, no matter, you know, whether we are grown up in church or not, um, we have expectations, what the music sounds like, um, what the pastor, how he preaches or speaks or dresses, the activities of the church. We have all these different expectations. And unfortunately, I will, I will be the first one to tell you this. And I think I'm not saying it started with my generation, but I think one of the problems inside the church is that we bounce around from church to church to church and we church hop based on our preferences. And I, I, obviously, I want you, we all need to be at a church where we're growing, but just because something doesn't meet our expectations doesn't mean, you know, we're just going to be all over the place, two years here, two years here, all this other stuff. I mean, because the expectations are not being met. Or if you go to a good restaurant, if you go to Rick Irwin's, okay, you expect what? Okay, you're going to pay some money, so you expect good food and good service, right? If you go to Rick Irwin's and you get McDonald's treatment and they're like, here you go, here's your fish, <laughs> you know, or whatever, you're going to be like, I'm not coming back here. Or if the food's nasty because expensive food, your expectation is good service and good food. And we all go through life with different expectations. And the first century Jews at the time of Jesus' arrival were the same exact way. They had expectations of who Jesus was. That when you look that in the Old Testament, their scriptures of the time, the Jewish people that memorized this, that they, they see that this great Messiah is promised to God's people. And that he is going to come. He's going to be this great redeemer. Scripture says that he's going to be greater than King David. I mean, think about that. David is this huge stud in the Old Testament that kills Goliath, becomes a king, does all these awesome things that, that the Messiah is going to be greater than him. That he's going to take people from oppression and bring them out of slavery. That he's going to help his people redeem, be redeemed. It, um, one of the um, a verse in um, the Old Testament says that he's going to be acclaimed. That he's going to he's going to be um, you know famous. And so you're thinking, okay. And so all of a sudden, for the for the um, for God's people, the first century Jews, Jesus is born, and for thousands of years. And for generation after generation after generation, they have made expectations just like you and I would. They would expect the Messiah, the Savior of the world, to look a certain way, to act a certain way. And I've said this to our students here that I don't know what it is in my mind, maybe just because I love this movie. But have you all seen the movie Braveheart? If, if you haven't, you're not a Christian, okay? Um, no, just kidding. Uh, I love the movie. And then you have Mel Gibson, his face is all pain. He's like, freedom! And he's like charging, you know, you know the scene I'm talking about? And I'm thinking that Jesus is coming in on this white horse looking all buff, you know, like Pastor Paul. He's like, yo, what's up? Um, and so he's coming, and he is coming, and he's going to like just, you know, tear everybody up. And it's like this great epic movie that's, that's going out. But it wasn't like that. That's not how the story unfolded. That Jesus comes and he's, he's born of a virgin woman who's not married, 
who's, a, who's approximately a teenager in a small little poor town, is not born into wealth or any kind of kingdom or, you know, kind of reign of, from a throne. And his, his parents aren't really famous. And so he's born in this small town and people are having a hard time with that, as you and I would. Their expectations are not met because what they've been promised year after year after year from their grandpappy and everything else and what the scripture says is that this is what the savior of the world, the Messiah is gonna look like. And now Jesus is born, he grows up, and then proclaims that he is God's son, that he is the savior, that he is the Messiah that's been promised. And people are like, no, even the religious leaders of the day who knew everything about the scriptures says no way. And so they're kind of in the the dark, not really in the dark physically, but they're coming, they're trying to get gotcha moments of Jesus to prove that he is not really who he said he is. And then we get to this part that we're going to dig into this morning in Matthew, where Jesus is with his disciples. Now, up until this point, we've been walking through this series called Follow, looking at the life of this guy named Peter. Now, Peter, there, he has some huge milestones in his life. And I know I have I probably have a biased opinion, but this today is crucial. Because up until this point, two weeks ago, Paul talked about how Peter was called by Jesus, that as a fisherman, he's out here doing his thing in the comfort of his own um, occupation. And Jesus shows up, says, hey, let me show you how to really fish, bro. And shows him how to fish. And, and Peter says, you know what? I'm following you. Becomes a follower of Jesus. Then the same Peter we looked at last week, that in the middle of a storm, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, goes up on a hillside to pray, sends the disciples in a boat to go out They're in the middle of of the lake and a storm comes. It's really, really early in the morning. It's dark and the storm comes and Jesus comes out. Now, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I don't know how many of y'all have gone out to sea uh, per se, maybe deep sea fishing or something like that. Now, it makes me super uncomfortable. I've only done this twice and it hasn't been this far, but it goes through my head, especially when you see like all these movies about like being stranded at sea and stuff is that, have you ever been on a boat that like goes out and you can't see the land? I, I've never done that because I'm starting to breathe heavy right now. But you go out and you don't see the land. And I'm thinking, okay, if this boat sinks right here, if something crazy happens, first of all, I'm gonna die because sharks are gonna attack me because I've seen Jaws and every other shark movie like Sharknado and stuff. And you look and you're like, I don't know which way to swim. You're just totally disoriented. And the disciples are out in this boat in the middle of nowhere. It's dark. Jesus comes walking on the water. And they're like, what in the world? I think it's a ghost because they left Jesus behind praying. And Peter, same one that left his occupation, is bold enough to get out of the boat and starts to walk on water to Jesus. It wasn't the other disciples. It was Peter. And we get to this great moment where Jesus is with his disciples. So if you have your Bible on on your phone, on the Bible app, if you're over in the worship center, there's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. You can grab that. But in Matthew 16, we see Jesus take his disciples to this place called Caesarea Philippi. This is about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And really, if you look at a picture of this, and maybe some of you have been to Israel or um, you've studied this. I would love to go to Israel. I haven't seen it. But 
if you look at a picture of it, that it's like this huge kind of rock face, um, per se. And underneath is kind of this water grotto lake pool thing. And at the time, it was a place of pagan worship that the people of the day really worshiped two different gods, one being Baal. And Baal is, uh, a, was a god of fertility and both of helping people have children, but also crops and produce. And then they also worshiped uh, a god by the name of Pan, P-A-N, not Peter Pan, all right? That, that Pan was kind of this god, um, Greek god of wilderness and hunting. He's kind of that dude that's like half horse, half human. But then above, on top of the rock, was a city of Caesarea Philippi. And it was no, uh, named Little Rome because they worshiped Caesar. They wanted to be like the motherland of Rome, Italy. And so here is this melting pot of beliefs and rituals and worship styles and all this other stuff. And Jesus takes his disciples to this. And this is where we pick up in the story in Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? So he, he looks, he knows people are confused. People are saying all kinds of different things because Jesus isn't who they expected him to be. So they ask, who are people saying that I am? And so the disciples respond. They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So you can see it's on the whole spectrum. They think he's all over the place. They're not really sure who he is, but notice, take note, no, they're not saying, well, everybody else is saying you're Jesus, that you're the Messiah. They're saying, okay, you're a prophet. You're probably a good guy. Maybe you came back from the dead. I don't really know, but they don't know. It, but they're not saying that. So then it gets real personal. And I think that Jesus right here, and you could challenge me on this um, just in love, is I think this is probably the most important question that Jesus asked in all of Scripture. And he looks to the disciples. So after he asks who do people say that I am, and he says to them in verse 15, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? I think that's pivotal. He's not just broadcasting this huge, like who, who are people, what are people saying? Who are they, who are they saying I am? What, what's the talk around town? Okay, he asked that. They're like, okay, well, there's some saying you're Jeremiah, you're Elijah, maybe you're a good prophet. He turns to him and I can just see him saying, but who do you? say that I am. And this is kind of one of those moments. If, if you were like me, I was, believe it or not, I was really introverted um, in school. And um, when the teacher, and sometimes this is like in life group and student ministry, um, but when, it, when the teacher asks a question and it's like, hey, what does everybody think the answer is to this? And no one talks. And it's kind of like, okay, please don't call on me. Please don't call on me. Please don't call on me. And then some, like the smart kid in class, you're like, oh, thank God. He answered the question, got me off the hot seat. Well, this is what Peter does. Peter takes everybody off the hot seat and it doesn't say, oh, they thought about it for four days or they looked at each other and said, who's going to answer? Because I don't want to answer. I don't want my answer to be wrong. Peter, the same Peter that God, took, um, God used Jesus to call him away from his occupation, who then he stepped out of the, the boat and had bold faith in that to walk to Jesus. That same Peter right out of the gate responds in verse 16. You are the Christ the son of the living God. He knew exactly who Jesus was. 
He didn't, he didn't skirt around it. He wasn't saying, oh, well, you're some cool guy that has a beard and you're wearing like tacos. <laughs> he didn't say that. He didn't say, oh, well, I'm kind of confused. He knew because he had encountered Jesus prior by following him and by walking on water, he encountered Jesus. And because he personally encountered Jesus, now he can personally respond to the character of an identity of who Jesus is. Isn't that true in our life? Think about that. We can't really depict and give an honest response of who Jesus is until we really encounter him. And so Peter did that. He said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus responds. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, God initiated this. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And so he commends Peter in this confession. I'm sure Peter, especially if you remember last week's story where Peter had a, the bold faith to get out of the boat, to walk to Jesus. He gets distracted by the storm, begins to sink. Jesus holds his hand. And I would want Jesus to be like, dude, bravo. You had enough faith and boldness to get out of that boat. But he doesn't. He's like, hey, you have little faith. Why did you doubt me? I'm thinking, why would Jesus say that? I just got out of a boat in the middle of the storm, dude. And right here, here is this affirmation where then Jesus says to him, man, you were right. And you didn't get that by yourself, that God initiated that. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to use you to do amazing things. And so it brings me to this thought of really who we, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down, but who we think Jesus is, is directly connected to how we live for Jesus. The way that we view God, and I've said this, I think in here, I know I've said it in student ministry, that A.W. Tozer, I love this quote where he talks about what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the way and what we think about who Jesus is directly is, is directly connected to how we live our life. For some of us, God is a distant God. He's far. He's like up in the heavens somewhere and maybe will strike us down if we do bad things. We can go to him in times of prayer and need, but that's about it. He's very distant. It's hard for some of us in this room to believe that the God who created the universe really cares about what we have to say or whatever. And so he's a distant God. Some of us, God is a tradition. We've grown up in church our whole entire life. We do it, you know, our parents brought us. Maybe you've been at Taylor's for a long, long time. And God is, uh, we view God as a tradition that we know the right things to say. It's the right thing to do. We're in the South. We're in the Bible Belt. You got to go to church, especially when you do something bad during the week. And you got to come and ask for forgiveness and all these different things. Maybe we, look, we view God in that realm. Maybe we believe that God is only in this building that, hey, listen, that's the only time we talk about God or talk to God is on Sundays or maybe, maybe a Wednesday night Bible study. 
It's the only time. So maybe we think, some of us, let's be honest, some of us are here out of habit, and we don't even think God is in this building. And so we have all these different views of who God is, and it directly impacts how we live our life. That if we view God here, like as Peter does, and he says, he is the Christ, he is the son of the living God, that's going to change how you act. If you think that God is the living God, it changes your demeanor and as you walk through life. Because if you think God is distant, you're going to be distant. If you think God is only in this place on Sundays and Wednesdays, that's going to affect how you live your life. You're going to show up on Sundays, you're going to pray, but throughout the week, you're not talking about God with your family, you're not leading your wife or your your husband, and y'all aren't talking, you're not talking to your kids, you're not talking to your co-workers, because we don't view God that way. And Peter encountered Jesus, and he got it to understand and to truly and accurately um, define who Jesus was, that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. Could you imagine the disciples are like, man, you showed us up, dude. You just showed us up. And Jesus um, commends him on, on really and accurately de- um, depicting who Jesus was. And, and here's the thing is that that should be, as we live for Jesus and, that, and as we say, that's who God is in me, that that should change people's lives around us. Don't you agree? That if our lives are changed and he's living, he's not a dead God, that our lives should then impact the lives around us. But too often we get caught in the trap and I'll be the first one to admit. And I will tell you, I struggle with being on church staff because it is easy to come to my office, to come to this place, to be here and not interact with anybody who doesn't know Jesus. But shame on us because the thing is, is that so often what we end up doing is our hearts don't break for people who don't know Jesus because we don't hang out with people who don't know Jesus. And, and, and in return, what we end up doing is a lot of the times we come to church and we have our view of God and we have our view of church and activities of the church. And, and what, what's really sad is that when we get into that bubble, intentional or not, is that we end up beating each other up. And we end up being so consumed about our expectations of whatever, fill in the blank, that we end up not being consumed with people who are dying and going to hell. And how petty it is to say, oh, well, this didn't go away according to my plan, or I wish church was like this, or the conversations that happen behind closed doors that aren't edifying, and the different things that aren't uplifting the bride of Jesus, we make it more about those things than we do people's lives being changed. And as we look, we have to be reminded, I'll tell you, I have to remind myself every day, That God isn't just some distant God. He's not a God that I raised my hand when I was in ninth grade and said, I don't know what the purpose of my life is and walked down front and asked the pastor, I don't know what my purpose of life is. And he led me through a prayer and I got baptized shortly after that. Jesus is more than that. He's so much more than just routine. And then what? I remember when I first became a Christian, I'm like, okay, what, what now? I've kind of done those things. What now? And then people say, well, read the book of John. 
And I'm like, the book of John, that's like in the middle of the Bible. <laughs> like, shouldn't I start at the beginning? Oh, no, no, no. Start at John. And I'm like, okay. But no one really showed me how to live for Jesus. And I really do think that it's this viewpoint because I thought, oh, well, that was like thousands of years ago, a couple thousand years ago. Jesus died on the cross, saved me of my sin. Amen, amen. But I just kind of left it there. Jesus wasn't a living God. And as you mature in your faith, as you have encountered God, if you've encountered God truly, then it changes your life. And then in return, the lives around you should be changed. And I would dare to say that if lives around you are not being changed, it's time to maybe look at your life and say, am I I really viewing God as a living God? Or am I getting stuck in this rat race of religion or routine or tradition or whatever? Because Peter, at this point in time, he says this, and we're going to look in the weeks ahead that you will see. Is Peter perfect? No. If you know, the, if you know how his life turns out, you know that he, he fails, he denies Jesus. We'll look in that in the, in, the, in the weeks ahead. But God totally redeems that. And then at the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, God uses Peter, even amongst his failure, to then influence people where 3,000 people come to know Jesus. And so there's something in his encounter to Jesus at this time where he declares who Jesus is and that changes his life and changes the lives of people around us. And so my question to you this morning is who do you say Jesus is? And I would say a good uh, tool or indicator of how to address that, because let's be honest, it's easy to be like, Jesus, Jesus is God's son. He died on the cross for me. I get all, and have the canned responses. Now, all that's true. But a good indicator is say, all right, let's pick five people around you. And let's see what they say about your life. Let's ask your, your spouse. That's your kids. Do your kids say that you are living as if God and Jesus is Christ, the son of the living God? Or is it just a routine and tradition? You get what I'm, you get what I'm saying? I mean, that'll hit home, right? Is that like when I go home and I see my kids, listen, as parents, and I know I'm chasing a bunny, bunny trail or whatever that saying is, <laughs> is as parents, our responsibility, if you're a parent here, is not to provide the best clothes, a better life than what your parents did. The expectation is not to give them everything they want, to make them happy. You know, that's not, that's not our role. Our role is to disciple our kids. And I'm going to tell you, dads, that your kids are looking at you. And unfortunately, but thankfully, moms are picking up the slack and they're the ones having conversations with kids. We did a survey, I guess it was before last summer, um, in our student ministry. And I don't remember the exact percentage, but it was the majority of our middle school and high school students said mom was the spiritual leader of the house. That if they needed to talk about things, they went to mom. 
In the same survey, it also said that we asked the question, I don't remember exactly how it was worded, but how many times do you talk about God as a family outside the walls of the church? And I think it was like 85% said um, less than one time a week. And so you're showing your family who God is. Is is he a tradition? Is he a Sunday morning only? What, What is he? Showing your spouse those things. You're showing your coworkers how you act at work, who God is to you. And so we have to constantly, and I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here, is that I have to be reminded every day when we wake up, am I living as if Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, or is he just some kind of distant thing over here that I've known for a long time that's good, because thank God I'm not going to hell and it's been good and I like the benefits and the community of a church and I'm on staff and all the habits that form with that because Peter knew without a doubt and when we proclaim who God is then we can live as who God wants and when we live for him then the rest of our lives start to line up as in Galatians, where it talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Romans 12, where the Apostle Paul talks about how our love should be genuine and we shouldn't have um, revenge against our enemies and we should love one another and not have to quarrel about this because there's a bigger thing at stake than just playing church. <laughs> that it's for living for Christ, the Son of the living God. And I don't know where you're at this morning. Listen, I'm not, I'm not here to guilt trip you. I'm just here to say, we need to ask that question on a regular basis because Jesus is asking Peter and he's asking us, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? Because how you answer that question will reflect, really not even just answering the question, how you live out that question will reflect how you answer that question. Does that make sense? That how you live will really answer it for you and for everybody else. And at the end of the day, we're not going to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes. There's going to be things that we regret. There's going to be things in life that are unexpected. But God wants us to live for him because he is a living God. Amen? That he loves us and cares for us and is chasing after us and wants us and to use us to impact other people's lives that don't know him. And I'm not saying just go on a street corner in downtown Greenville and start yelling at everybody, telling them they're going to hell and they need Jesus. I'm saying one-on-one relationships where you are pouring in to people. And I don't know what that next step might look for you, look like for you. Maybe it's a conversation with your husband or wife. Maybe it's a conversation with your kids. Maybe it's a, a shift in thinking as to why God has placed you at your workplace or why you're experiencing an unexpected event or why you're here, I I don't know. But God wants us to live for him because he's living and breathing and wants to use you to do amazing things. Let me pray for us. God, we are thankful that you are a God who loves us, who cares for us, so much so that you sent Jesus 
to forgive us of our sins by dying on the cross. There's no way we can earn our way into heaven. We can't be good enough. We couldn't do enough things. We couldn't have enough church attendance. But God, you sent Jesus. And thank you for Peter who recognized immediately that you are Christ, the son of the living God. God, let that be our answer every single day as we parent, as we love on our husband and wife, as we go about our work and see co-workers, as we interact with each other in the body of this church. Allow us to continually answer the question that you are Christ, the son of the living God, not a dead God, not a distant God, not just a tradition or just a thing, but God, that you are radically changing our lives. And maybe we need to kind of rethink our view of you and that God, so show us who you are and allow us to live for you so that other lives can be changed your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know where you're at, like I said today, and you might, might be thinking, I need to, I need to have a conversation with somebody and we would never do anything to embarrass you, but I'd hate for you just to leave here and not have a conversation, even if it's just prayer or what, whatever, I don't know. But if you, if you want to do that, please, as the band leads us in a closing song of worship, um, ministers will be up in the front. You can come talk to us. Maybe you also want to make a decision for baptism. You've been putting that off for a long time or contemplating that, or maybe have some questions about it. Maybe you want to join our church. Um, Please don't don't leave here um, without talking to somebody so we can pray for you, get you connected, and um, help you take that next step. So Scott's going to lead us. And let's just use this time as a time of response, not to beat people to church or to lunch from church. But let's just use this to talk to God and really look and evaluate ourselves and say, who do we say that God is? How are we answering that question? Not just with our lips, but with our lives.